Whoa. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Uh, we are going to be talking about heaven again, but one of the things that popped to my mind as I was preparing this week is just kind of a reminder to us as a, a church. So my goal, and anybody else teaching, our goal isn't just to tell you what to think. You know, it's not an indoctrination of, of think exactly this way. Rather, my goal is that you learn how to read your Bible and how to think, how to think biblically, how to think godly. And so with that in mind today, we're going to cover quite a bit of stuff, actually, and some of it's going to probably be new. We're going to use some big new words like Pentateuch is going to come up, if you don't know what that is. So I would encourage you, today would be a good day to take notes. If you're not a note taker, this might be a good one. Um, I am going to hop to several different verses, and they'll appear on here. It might be good to jot those down to check, because here's one thing that pastors do poorly a lot of times. It's take a verse out of context and use it to say what they want to say. And you got to make sure I'm not doing that, meaning... It's up to you to make sure I'm reading things in context. Who's going to stand before God in judgment of what you learn? Both of us, right? So the teacher does have something before God. The teacher is going to stand before God in judgment for what they teach, but you're going to stand before judgment also on, on what you hear, right? So if you're just hearing stuff and following and it's wrong, you will be held accountable for that. The teacher also will be. So I just say all that to encourage you, think biblically. Don't just believe everything I say. Compare it with what the Bible says, because this is our authority. Well, we have been going through heaven, um, and today, again, is going to be another great day, but what have we seen so far? Heaven is a real place prepared by God to be with his people forever. So it's a real place. It's not just an idea. It's not something out there. We've seen that very clearly biblically. It is physical, meaning we're going to be in new bodies, where we're going to eat, we're going to sleep, maybe, right? We're going to be doing physical things. We saw that only those who believe in Jesus in this life will be there. I like the song that, it was the new song, but I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so heaven is a real place, but not every human will be there. Only those who believe in Jesus in this life will be there. Now, here's the other thing we said. There are three heavens in Scripture. The word heaven is used three different ways. The sky, the universe, and the place where God dwells. Now, what if I told you I've been lying to you for the last three weeks and there's four heavens? <laughs> I know, I better... There's four heavens. Or let me say it this way. Heaven as in the place where God dwells, that third heaven, is, is in two different places throughout Scripture. And what we've been talking about so far is the new heaven and the new earth our final place where we will be with God forever. But what about right now? And that is our topic today of uh, when will I go to heaven and what will I do when I get there? Well, the heaven right now is not the same heaven as eternity. Uh, you can call it intermediate heaven. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. The, the third heaven, maybe that one's the fourth heaven. But heaven is where God is uniquely and we will be with him and someday they'll be combined. So when do we go? Do we go at the end when Jesus returns. Randy Alcorn, we have a few books out there, and this is one of his quotes, I really like it, says this, the present intermediate heaven, no, that's good. <laughs> is it up? There it is. The present, <clears throat> just strobe it. <laughs> 
All right, here we go. <laughs> the present intermediate heaven is in the angelic realm, distinctly separate from earth. By contrast, the future heaven will be in the human realm on earth. Then the dwelling place of God will also be the dwelling place of humanity in a resurrected universe. So heaven and earth, now separated, will also be the dwelling place of humanity in a resurrected universe. So... I wrote that wrong. So heaven and earth, now separated, will then be merged. The new earth will also be heaven since God will dwell there with his people. Glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they are inhabiting the new earth. This is a picture of God's ultimate plan, not to take us up to, a, uh, to live in a realm made for him, but to come down and live with us in the realm he made for us. Basically, the present heaven is up there, or some would say, it's another dimension. I don't know. But the present heaven is there. The new heaven will be down here. We looked at that. New heaven and new earth. Is it this earth remade? I would argue probably. Is it this one totally destroyed and a new one made? That's possible too. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. If some of that's confusing, just go back and listen to the previous sermons we covered that. But what I wanted to focus on here is this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, new earth, is coming down out of heaven from God. Meaning, in that day, the heaven there will come down and unite with earth here. It'll be one place. There's a principle in scripture of continuity, which I really like. When Jesus died and then rose from the dead, it was his actual body that rose. The, the tomb was empty. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. And there was some kind of continuity between his old body and his new body. He still had the scars from the cross. He still had the scars from the, the spear in his side. People recognized him when he wanted to be recognized. And we're told that when we see him, we will be like him. We will have bodies like, like his. And there's some kind of continuity between here and there. I think our personalities. There will be continuity. Not sin, because sin is removed. But the same then with earth. Remember, God created earth and he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. He made woman then said, it's very good. He made this good. So who are we to think that this is bad? He's going to restore, and it's going to be similar. So uh, we showed you this really awesome diagram a couple weeks ago, and now we're bringing it back. Um, and this, I think, is just a, a helpful picture to see the thrust of the whole Bible, right? So here you have Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden, creation where God says everything is good. And then we messed it up. This line is, is the fall. Right? We messed it up, and so for the rest, here's Jesus' return, and afterward, new heaven and new earth. The rest of this is God fixing what we broke because of sin. Right? It's God's plan to reconcile, to restore, so that it becomes similar to what it was at the beginning. And the center of all of creation is Jesus. The center of all history is Jesus. The Old Testament all leads up to Jesus, what he would do, so that when Jesus, God in flesh, came... People who knew the Old Testament scriptures went, oh, I get it. Or some of those that didn't quite get it, Jesus then explained to them from the Old Testament scriptures why it pointed to him. And now we live in this period. Uh, you know, we could do a you are here sign. We don't know where we are in here. But this is where we are. And in the New Testament period, we look back that Jesus is still the center of it all. And we're looking forward to his return. So, new heaven, new earth. Here's one more, more thing to add. 
my handwriting's not as good as whoever made this. Heaven right now is here. So all those who died in this period that, you know, were believers, they go here. Anybody who dies here goes here. Anybody here after Jesus who places their faith in Jesus as Lord, they go here. Until this point when Jesus returns, and then this comes down to here and becomes one place. Not the most artistic. But I hope this helps you see a little bit God's plan. And so right now, here's heaven, and the future becomes one place when Jesus returns. Feel free to write that down. <laughs> Chip Ingram says it this way, God is going to make everything new. The word new isn't a reference to new in time or chronology. Rather, this is a reference to new in quality or character. It is new in the sense that it is qualitatively an upgrade to the old earth. <laughs> the, the picture that came to mind, my first car when I was growing up, when I was 16, was a, a Ford Bronco. 1985 Ford Bronco. It was pretty sweet. Now they have a new Bronco. I want one. Not the little one, like the full-size one. They're both the Bronco, but the new one is upgraded, right? Clean, new, nice. I think that's kind of that picture with the new heaven and, and new earth. One more quote, Richard Buckman. He says, as paradise, it is the natural world in its ideal state, rescued from the destroyers of the earth. It is what it is, but it's rescued, right, in its ideal state. For some reason, we have this idea that physical is bad and spiritual is good. And that does not come from biblical thinking. It doesn't come from Judaism. It doesn't come from New Testament Christianity. That comes from Eastern thought. Hinduism, Buddhism, and, and other th that has creeped into us. Thank you, Beatles. It has creeped in to Western thought and creeped into the church. But the spirit and, and the body both were created good together. Now, it was messed up because of sin. Both were messed up because of sin, spiritually separated from God, and God is now restoring all of that. So the idea that the physical is bad is not biblical. The physical, in its ideal state, is good, and we will be getting there. And in heaven, we are going to live out what God originally intended. That is exciting. Because God is going to restore how are we supposed to live, that's the way we're going to live for eternity if we are followers of Jesus. So here's the question for the day. When do I go to heaven? When will I go to heaven? 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul writes, he says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's the way he said it. Away from the body, at home with the Lord. When is that in here? That's any time in here, right? So when we die here, we will be separated from our body for a period of time. But when we are separated from our body, we will be at home with the Lord. Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? When he was hanging there, two other criminals were dying with him. And, and they, were, they were making fun of him. You know, they were cast, hey, you claim to be God. You know, get us off of here. You know, get yourself off and save us too. Sometime in there, one of them changed his tune. We, we don't have the details. Maybe he saw the way Jesus was suffering. I don't know. But somewhere in there, one of them said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. At some point while he was dying, he placed in faith, his place, placed his faith in Jesus as Lord. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say at the end of the age. He didn't say later. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Meaning when that guy died right then, his spirit went to be with the Lord, with Jesus in heaven. So here's the answer to that big question. Every person who dies in Christ immediately goes to be with God in the present heaven. Immediately. Perfect people. No. Saved people. 
Not those who do it all right, but those who place their faith in Jesus as Lord. Now, I want to talk just real quickly. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians, so you can turn there. 1 Thessalonians 4 is where we're going to be, page 1091 in your Bibles. But as you turn there, I want to address one thing, purgatory. If any of you grew up in the Catholic Church or had much exposure there, this idea of purgatory has also kind of seeped in sometimes to, to Protestant thinking, meaning when we die, we don't go to heaven, we go to this intermediate place where we can work off some of our sin so we can get good enough to go to heaven. Where does that idea of purgatory come from? It doesn't come from Scripture. It actually comes from a book um, called Maccabees. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. But it is, a, it is part of the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is a handful of books that the Catholics have in their Bible, but the Protestants do not. And one of those is Second Maccabees, and in that it really does outline purgatory. But here's the thing. So, okay, the question is, where does the Septuagint come from? It was not in the Hebrew Bible. So Christianity is, is Judaism completed in Jesus, meaning we accept all the scriptures that the Jews accepted. They did not accept the Apocrypha. Now, those were some writings during that time, and when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, those books were translated. And so they were part of that. They weren't accepted by the Hebrews, but others who translated into Greek brought those in. Then there was the Latin Vulgate. So if you ever went to a Catholic church or you've gone there and you hear it in Latin, that's because early on the Old Testament scriptures were translated into Latin, the Vulgate. And they included those books. So that, that's the Septuagint that talks about purgatory. Now, in the New Testament, every book in the Old Testament is quoted, except for one, Esther. Esther is a unique book. But every book other than Esther is quoted in the New Testament. The Septuagint, those books are not quoted once in the New Testament. So I just kind of, there's a little bit of history if you wondered where this purgatory stuff comes from. It's not biblical. And it's not in line theologically. If Jesus died on the cross and his death was good enough, he atoned for all of our sins at this point, then anything we do to earn it, it negates what he did on the cross. Meaning, if his death wasn't good enough, we're in big trouble. And that's part of Catholic, and some Protestant denominations have a piece of this too, that Jesus earned it for us on the cross you know, by his death, but then there's also some pieces that you need to do also. You need to confess. There's some grace in there. You need to get baptized. Now, we are supposed to get baptized, the Bible says, but it's not another means of grace that adds to it. Uh, you know, Attending church, it's a good thing. We're told to gather, but it's not like these things earn us more. And so why has the Catholic Church throughout history you know, had this? You can light a candle for somebody dead. Well, why would you do that? Because they might be in purgatory. And they need more prayers to get out. Or the Reformation. So Halloween is coming up. That's also the time to celebrate the Reformation you know, with Martin Luther. And his big thing, too, was uh, this thing called indulgences. So the Catholic Church, if they needed to build a cathedral, they would say, hey, come bring us your money, and you can buy your loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. And so that's the way they made money to build these great cathedrals that you see through Europe. You know, and so Martin Luther looks at that and he's like, this is not right. You know, he studied Romans. And, and so all of that points to Protestantism really kind of was a restoring back to the original faith of the early church of, of where things are true. So all that to say no purgatory. Look at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is dead, that you might not grieve as others who do not have hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Since we believe. So those, when Jesus comes back, that's talking about this point. When Jesus comes back, those who have died in Christ come with him. That's when they get these new bodies. And they're there because they believe, not because of works. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. So there's no works put into our salvation. It's Jesus alone on the cross. That should be really freeing. You know, I hear all the time people say things like, oh, I can't come to church until I get my act cleaned up. I need to be good, then I'll be good enough to come to church. No, God wants us sinners. God wants us messed up people so that he can solve the problem. He can, can cure us. He can cover our sin and then help us change. This is in your notes. Every Jesus follower alive when Christ returns immediately goes to be with God in the present heaven. So when do we go? Immediately when we die or immediately when Jesus returns, meaning some of us won't die. That sounds really cool. <laughs> I hope that's me. But when Jesus returns, those who are here who have placed their faith in him go immediately to be with him. And that's when we get these new bodies. So when? Well, look at chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, that's this day. That's this line right here. That's what he's talking about. That day when Jesus returns will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. What is he saying here? When is it going to come? A lot of people try and look around, try and read Revelation and predict it. Oh, this has happened. This, it's happening right now. He says, you don't need to do that right here. He says, you won't be blind. Jesus is coming like a thief, but you're not going to be surprised because you know he's coming suddenly. And because you know he's coming suddenly, you will be ready. So you won't be surprised because we live lives always ready for him to come. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. It could be right now. Or now. <laughs> Someday he's going to come back when I do that. <laughs> but it's true. He can come back immediately. He will come back suddenly. But we won't be caught off guard. 
So if you're one of those that goes, I have these worldly things I want to do. I want to follow sin for a while, and then I'll surrender to Jesus. If he returns, or if you die, it's too late. Meaning the time to surrender to him is now, and the time to walk with him is now. Now, who is it that goes? You know, we said it's the one who believes. The beginning of Revelation, the book of Revelation is written to several churches in Asia, seven churches. And it, to each church, he repeats the same message over and over. In Revelation 2.7, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 2.17, To the one who conquers, I will give a white stone with a new name written on the stone. 2.26, The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end to come, I will give authority over the nations. The one who conquers. And in the rest of the New Testament, we see the same thing. Make it to the end. Endure. Make sure you conquer. So is that in contrast with saved by faith? We're saved by faith alone, but the one who conquers. I don't think so. So this comes to the question, can, can we lose our salvation? Is it based on works? No. Saved by faith leads to works, and a true faith in God will make it to the end. That's what that means. The one who conquers is the one whose faith will endure. But if you belong to Jesus, he's going to make sure your faith endures. This is a, a big problem, actually, in the early church. When there was persecution from Rome, and some people, many people fell away. They denied their faith to save their life. The church then had to wrestle with, what do we do with these people? Because if their faith was genuine, they would make it. And so they had to honestly wrestle with that. So that's a, an encouragement to us to conquer, to make it. How often have you heard this? Oh, that person, you know, they're not walking with God. They haven't for 20 years. But when they were seven, they prayed the prayer, so they're good. That's not biblical. <laughs> the biblical idea is that when you surrender to Jesus as Lord, he starts to change your life. Not perfect. Let's make that clear. We don't walk perfectly, but there is an idea where we are changed. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are created as masterpieces in him for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. 1 John 2.19. This talks about the person who maybe was part of the church but doesn't make it to the end. First, or John writes this. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. That's encouraging, but also a warning to us, meaning endure. Let's let our faith make it all the way to when Jesus returns or until we die. We want to conquer because if we conquer, then we will get to reign with him. Now, I want to talk about one other thing. This, this idea that when we go to be with him, right, it's, it's immediate or it's when he comes back. During this period, I think sometimes we, uh, we think little of ourselves, which we should compared to God, but yet at the same time, each individual is infinitely valuable to God, meaning when we die as believers and go to be with him, it is dramatic. Angels are watching. Angels are part of what God's doing. When it happens, it is dramatic and it is awesome. In Luke, we, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. And this rich man got all his good things on earth, whereas Lazarus suffered and was poor. They both die. The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus goes to heaven. 
Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side. And so you see this picture, and some argue it's not just a parable because one of them has a name, Lazarus. Every other parable, there's no name given. So some say this is more than just a parable. But what we do see in that story is that Lazarus, when he dies, something happens. Luke 16, 22 says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. It's just a little thing here, but he died and the angels escorted him to heaven's side, to God's side. That's kind of cool. I, I mean, think about that. That angels are waiting for the believer to die to escort them immediately. Whether it's a car accident, whether it's in a hospital, whatever it is, immediately angels escort that person to be with God. Wow. Maybe you've heard the story of Jim Elliott and the other missionaries. Uh, and they were reaching the, the Indians uh, that had never been reached before. Five of them landed a plane. They were waiting to meet them. They were killed by the natives there. Uh, spears and arrows, they, they killed them. Now, as they died, later, actually, later, their wives would come back. And some of those who did the murdering were saved. They placed their faith in Jesus as Lord. And many years later, they told about this event of when they were, when they were killed. They heard singing in the trees, and they saw lights come down over each body and then kind of go up. Now, that sounds a little bit mystical, but why not? Why, why wouldn't God let them see a little glimpse so that maybe they could be saved? Maybe that they could get a picture of God's power over their false gods. But this, how dramatic, how beautiful, singing in the trees. Imagine that when a believer dies, there are angels singing, they're escorted to God's side. It's a big deal. It's no little thing. All right, next question. What will I do in heaven? What will I do in heaven? We've talked about this some already, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But we have this idea sometimes that heaven is an eternal church service. Or it's like being in the library, right? Shh, don't have any fun. This is heaven, <laughs> right? This is the place where we're supposed to be really serious and proper, I don't think so. Uh, God is an exciting God. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Joy is the serious business in heaven. Right? Joy is the serious business of heaven. Why? Because what are we going to do there? We are going to enjoy fellowship with God. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We are made for a relationship with God. Meaning when we have that relationship with him walking, we will have serious joy and we can get a taste of that in this life. We can get a great taste of that in this life. But in the next, when we're face to face with him, oh my goodness, what joy will be in his presence, writes the psalmist, right? In your presence are fullness of joy. Why do we have addictions, right? Why do we have these sinful habits, these things? Because there's something in us we're trying to fill, and we can fill it with pleasure, fill it with substances. You know, we try and fill this, but it's a God-sized hole that only God can fully fulfill, meaning when we're in his presence, all those things are gone. The curse is gone. Our need for anything else to fill us is gone, meaning we have perfect relationship with him. Therefore, we can have perfect relationships with one another. So we will enjoy relationships with one another. Now, if you've been here each week, you're like, yeah, we've heard this. Well, guess what? It's really important. <laughs> we are going to be together, and we are still, you're going to be you. I'm going to be me. We're going to see each other there, or should I say back down here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Think about story time. Think about when Jonah tells us what the fish smelled like. 
from the inside. You know, maybe he tells us what he was thinking when he ran away. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, like I can get away from God. You know, Moses. Remember when they walked across the Red Sea and the walls of water? I've always wondered this. Did they see fish swimming in there? I, you know what? Like, did they poke their heads out? Huh? Yeah, I don't know. But we'll, we can hear. We can ask. Or how about all the stories not in the Bible? All the things that believers, Old Testament and New, have done by faith. All the things that God has done that we haven't seen. We're going to get to hear these stories in relationships with one another. It's going to be a lot of fun. Because we will enjoy life as God intended it to be. That's the point. We are going to be enjoying life as God intended it to be. So we go back. What did it look like in the garden? What were people doing? They were given a garden to tend. They were working. Now, maybe some of you here, wait, we're going to work in heaven? And because of the job you have, you're like, that sounds horrible. But it's going to be different, right? Randy Alcorn says it this way. Work in heaven won't be frustrating or fruitless. Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment, unhindered by decay and fatigue. Enhanced by unlimited resources, we'll approach our work with the enthusiasm we bring to our favorite sport or hobby. There will be some things that are here, some, some jobs here that won't be there. My job? won't exist there. You won't, you, we won't need my job there. Uh, undertakers, we won't need you in heaven. R right? Doctors, you're going to be unemployed. <laughs> but what will artists, musicians, right? You want to learn the banjo? You can learn the banjo. Uh, what else, probably farmers. You know, I, it's weird. I had this dream. I, this is on my mind so much. I had a dream this past week where... Um, Callie and I were looking at moving to a ranch. You know, I would love to live on a ranch with a bunch of, pro all this stuff. And it's like, oh, but I only have this life to do it, but God has called me to this, so I'll never have that. And it's like, and in my dream, it's like, wait, click. No, it doesn't end in this life because it's going to continue. Maybe that's what God has me. Maybe I'll be a rancher. Maybe I'll be a farmer. Maybe I'll be building things for the glory of God. I don't know. But we will continue to work. Again, remember Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's not going to end when we enter the new heaven and new earth. We will continue to do good works, enjoy our labors. The new earth recreated, what if we can be like the next Lewis and Clark and explore all the new things on the new earth? That would be fun. But we will work. Randy Alcorn says this, In this world, even under the curse... Human imagination and skill have produced some remarkable works. <laughs> the statues of Easter Island, Stonehenge, Shakespeare's plays, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the Golden Gate Bridge, baseball, heart transplants, prenatal surgery, microwave ovens, DVDs, the space shuttles, chocolate ice cream, pecan pie, sports cars. It's a list that will never end. With the resources God will lavishly give us on the new earth, what will we be able to accomplish together? In heaven, God will unleash our creativity, not confine it. That's exciting. At the beginning, we were given the job of dominion, of reigning with God in heaven. That's repeated, that when we go to be with him, we will reign with him for eternity. So the same idea, we will have dominion with God over this new heaven and new earth. We are not in the land of the living headed toward the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying headed to the land of the living. 
Let me say that again. We are not in the land of the living, headed toward the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying, headed toward the land of the living. Are you going? Are you going? You know, one more thing I had to include in there, we will eat. That's really good news. <laughs> we talked about that last week. We will eat. We're going to need bakers, right? Sherry, you'll have something to do there. You can make all the cupcakes for us. But, but we will have bakers, and maybe we can eat all we want. I don't know. But in heaven, we will be human beings perfectly living how human beings are designed to be. Are we going to go? We have to place our faith in Jesus in this life. Romans 10 9. For if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then you have the security that if you die during this period, you're with Jesus immediately in heaven. Or when he returns, we are immediately with him. Next week, we're landing the plane. Last week. Next week is, is maybe the most important. How does all this truth that we've looked at on heaven, how should that impact the way we live now? It should change everything we do significantly. So don't miss next week. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Again, as I think I prayed every week, thank you that you've made some things so clear about eternity. Some things are not clear. There are absolutely some mysteries, some things we don't know, and I thank you for those as well. But God, I, I do pray that you would stir in us a hope, a confidence, a security in you. Fill us with peace and joy. God, if there's anybody in here today who's not sure if they're going to be there, I pray that they today would bow the knee to you as Lord, that they would confess you as Lord and believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. God, glorify us. We ask that this truth would uh, pass through our community. God, we, we are pretty unchurched area. 95% of people in this area do not believe in you. God, we want to see that changed. God, and if this truth is what will get us uh, out of our seats and out sharing the truth of you, I pray that that would be the case. God, we love you. We want to see you do great things. In Jesus' name, amen.